edition of Stories of the Dark. I am Glenn Clark, your host. And uh, for those of you who, are, who may have uh, been tuning in just a minute ago, I lost uh, signal on the live program, but we're back on now, hopefully, and uh, and hopefully everything will work out for us. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about spontaneous human combustion. Kind of an interesting topic that... Uh, I've never uh, really talked about before, but uh, should be an uh, interesting topic. Uh, some upcoming notes. Uh, we're going to be taking a trip here in the coming uh, weeks out to uh, uh, the Salton Sea, which is out near Palm Springs, and uh, we're going to be um, we're going to be doing a show from there. We're going to take some videos and and uh, pictures, and uh, hopefully catch something out of there uh that's um uh the uh, abandoned town actually is called bombay beach uh there is some people who still live there but uh kind of few and far between so anyway we'll get to some uh news of the day so uh the first one is about the uh, mars lander landing safely on the surface of mars after a 205-day journey through space, NASA's InSight lander is safely on the surface of Mars. Tasked with peering beneath the Martian surface and mapping the planet's underworld, InSight touched down just before 3 p.m. Eastern Time in a sunny patch of boring landscape inside the equatorial plains of Elysium Planitia. Anxious teams of scientists and engineers clustered together at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California uh, knew the spacecraft had survived its wild and tricky descent into the red planet's surface after receiving a single tone from the lander. The spacecraft's home team isn't fully celebrating just yet. For its mission to succeed, InSight must also deploy its solar panels, and that confirmation signal won't arrive for a few more hours. But assuming it does, the spacecraft will officially be the newest member in an elite fleet of interplanetary robots currently exploring the Red Planet, including NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which monitored InSight's descent. InSight's journey of more than 300 million miles began on May 5th with a foggy early morning launch from California's Vandenberg Air Force Base. Tucked inside its shell, the spacecraft rocketed through the solar system, navigating by starlight as an onboard star tracker helped it stay on course. On November 25th, and then once more a few hours before touchdown, the spacecraft's entry, descent, and landing team nudged it into trajectory that would allow it to bullseye in Elysium Planitia. This flat, unremarkable plane was chosen specifically because of the relatively abundant sunlight at the equator and its geologic boringness at the surface. 
which offers the best chance of finding ideal places to set down its instruments. Once its plunge through the atmosphere was set, the team could only sit back and watch. Without guided entry, InSight had to fly itself to the Martian surface, meaning that a safe landing relied upon correct pre-programmed commands and all the necessary onboard instruments functioning properly. These are certainly points that will make me smile if they go well. Julie Wurz Chen, an, an entry, descent, and landing team member said this week before. As InSight made, made contact with the planet's thin air, a heat shield protected it from burning up while it whizzed along at 12,300 miles an hour. About a minute later, the spacecraft deployed a parachute that put on a hefty brake and eventually slowed it to 134 miles an hour. Its heat shield then popped off and an onboard radar began to search for and ultimately lock, lock onto the ground. At 3,280 feet up, InSight ditched its parachute, performed a short, short free fall, and then fired a dozen descent engines to eventually slow it to a mere 5 miles an hour. From at atmospheric contact, contact to setting robot legs on the ground, the process took just 6 minutes and 45 seconds. Now InSight is literally waiting, uh, waiting for the dust to settle so it can start unfurling its solar panels. InSight wasn't the only robot entering Martian airspace for the first time today. Two mini-spacecraft, each about the size of a briefcase, were tagging along as part of the first mission to send tiny spacecraft known as CubeSats into interplanetary space. Collect collectively known as Mars Cube 1, but separately referred to as MACO1 and MARCO2, their mission was to collect information from InSight as it des descended to the surface, and then relay that information to Mission Control at JPL. And we'll go ahead and uh, move on to the next story. A little Black Friday uh, story for you. So... Black Friday for Sears, a ghost town, as it tries to make it through yet another holiday season. The inside of Sears at the Galleria White Plains Mall on Black Friday looked mostly the same as it has for the past few years. Yellow tags highlighted doorbuster sales, rows of washers and dryers stood gleaming, sparkling Christmas ornaments were on display. But the glaring omission at 7 a.m. an hour after opening were the shoppers. This place looks like a ghost town, noted Brandon Warkenthin, who made the trip to Sears in White Plains, New York, from the Bronx, to check out to check out deals on appliances. He rarely comes to Sears, only often only on Black Friday. It was a waste to even come out, said Workin, then, who was equally overwhelmed or underwhelmed by the sales on other items. They're not really changing the prices, he added. The retailer may be reluctant to slash his prices too low. It's fighting for its life at the bankruptcy court in White Plains, just a five-minute drive from the store. Sears filed for bankruptcy on October 15th. Since then, its lawyers, bankers, and advisors have been arguing for its survival. Its chairman and former CEO, Eddie Lampert, is trying to put together a bid for its best-performing stores. Doing so would save the retailer and some of its 90,000 jobs for a fighting shot, the retailer needs to make some money this holiday season. And moving on here, we're going to 
Oregon woman busted with meth, handgun, and a throwing star. An Oregon woman is behind bars after she was busted with a large amount of meth, a handgun, a knife, and a throwing star, officials said. Kathalina Test, 22, was pulled over at around 9 p.m. Saturday in Aloha after she was seen leaving a known drug house, the Washington County Sheriff's Office said in a statement. In addition to, the, to a large quantity of methamphetamine, Ms. Test was in possession of a handgun and restricted weapons, officials said. A photo shared on the Sheriff's Office social media pages showed Test had with her a plastic bag that appears to contain drugs, a large knife, a handgun, a cell phone, and an undisclosed amount of money, and a throwing star. According to KOIN, there, are also, there were four other people in a vehicle with Test. Three others, Daniel Markham, 22, Anthony Smith, 33, and Patrick Darnell, 28, were also arrested. Test was charged with delivering meth, being a felon with a gun, being a felon with restricted weapons, and a warrant for parole violation. The other three men were given a variety of charges, including heroin possession and parole violations. They are currently being held in the Washington County Jail. An interesting story. You wonder what she was uh, planning on doing with that throwing star. That I, that one I, you know, just can't get out of my mind. But anyway, that just shows what what you know drugs will do to some people. You know, not not judging, but that uh, just kind of you know sounds a little weird. Anyway, we're gonna take a little break and we'll come back. Uh, we'll begin the show. We're gonna be talking, as I said earlier, about spontaneous human combustion. I'm Glenn Clark and this is Stories of the Dark.
And welcome back to Stories of the Dark. I am your host, Glenn Clark, and uh, I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, as for me, the uh, the girlfriend and I, we uh, had our own little Thanksgiving, just the two of us, very quiet, just like we liked it. And mm -hmm. uh, actually, it was actually pretty fun just spending uh, time with each other and having our little turkey and all the all the fixings it was actually really good so so um yeah and i hope everybody also you know like i said enjoyed your thanksgiving you also have a good holiday season um we will be doing shows throughout the month of november and uh and as i said we're going to be going to uh, uh we're going to try well, we're going to actually go to several different locations, but two of them we actually have planned are the uh, the old uh, Lake Dolores Water Park. It's out near uh, near Barstow, or just past Barstow, California. And the second location is going to be the uh, old Salton Sea, or the Salton Sea, uh, the uh, deserted town of Bombay Beach. We're going to be... Uh, uh, doing a show from there and also taking some videos and uh, try to see what we can uh, uncover out there. But tonight's topic is going to be uh, an interesting one that uh, that I've I've been interested in. I know other radio shows have covered it. It's called spontaneous human combustion. I mean, and the thought of that is actually very scary. Just to think that you just without warning just burst into flames you know you know so yeah that's uh it's kind of a scary topic for me but anyway well you know i hope you all enjoy it so i'm gonna read uh, now from history.com uh, and, and as usual we'll have all the links posted on uh on the bottom of the the YouTube video and uh, also on my uh, SoundCloud, Podomatic, uh, Pinecast, uh, you name it, I, I have it by now. So, so anyway, is uh, spontaneous human combustion real? For several centuries, people have debated whether human beings can spontaneously combust or burst into flames without being ignited by an external source. Though the first known accounts of spontaneous human combustion date all the way back to 1641, the phenomenon gained wider exposure in the 19th century after popular author Charles Dickens used it to kill off one of the characters in his novel, novel Bleak House. When critics accused Dickens of legitimizing something that didn't exist, he pointed to research showing 30 historical cases, most recently ca cases of H SHC have been suspected when police and fire department officials have found burned corpses with unscathed furniture around them. Around them. For instance, an, an Irish coroner ruled that spontaneous combustion caused by the 2010 death of 76-year-old Michael Faherty, whose badly burned body was discovered near a fireplace in a room with virtually no fire damage. Because the human body is composed mostly of water and his only highly flammable properties are fat tissue and methane gas, the possibility of SHC being an actual phenomenon seems remote. Many scientists dismiss the theory, arguing that the undetected flame source, such as a match or cigarette, is a real culprit in suspected cases. Typically, deceased victims are found close to a fire source, and evidence suggests many of them actually set themselves on fire, while smoking or trying to light a flame. On the other hand, believers point to the fact that the human body has to reach a temperature of roughly 3,000 degrees in order to re be reduced to ashes. Unless SHC were a genuine factor, it seems impossible that furniture would not burn as well. Proposed 
causes of the supposed phenomenon include bacteria, static electricity, obesity, and str stress, and most consistently, excessive, excessive consumption of alcohol, but none have been sub substantiated by science so far. One recent hypothesis comes from Br British biologist Brian J. Ford, who in August 2012 d described his experiments with combustion in the magazine New Scientist. According to Ford, a buildup of acetone in the body, which can result from alcoholism, diabetes, or a specific kind of diet, can lead to spontaneous human combustion. And just kind of a funny story about static electricity. Um, this time of year out here in the desert, it gets very dry. And um, uh, a couple, about a week or so ago, I think it was, uh, the girlfriend, Black Circle Girl and I, we were in Walmart walking through the, you know, just shopping like we always do. And um, every time we touched each other, we got a huge blast of, of uh, static electricity, you know, so much that uh, I, I touched a, a rack, a metal rack to get something. Well, it it basically traveled through my body, shocked me at the rack, and then also shocked me on the shopping cart as well. So yeah, that if, for those of you have experienced that, you kind of know what that what that feels like. So. But I'm proud to say I did not human spontaneously combust, and we're still here, and that's why we're doing this show. So, and yes, it was making uh, Black Circle Girl scream. It was <laughs> scream as she got shocked every time she touched me, or something like like that. You know, that was uh, it was fun. So. So right now, I think uh, we'll go ahead. I'll share a, uh, I'll share a uh, YouTube video for you. And uh, let's see, what's going to be uh, ten cases of spontaneous human combustion survival. So I'm going to load up my video here. Jolliton. Not right now. That was a little loud, but. That's the beauty of a computer with internet. So anyway, 10 cases of humans, of spontaneous human combustion survival comes from uh, List OMG. You can uh, have a look at their stuff and uh, subscribe if you wish. So we'll play this and I'll come back and uh, we'll read from another website. I'm Glenn Clark. This is Stories of the Dark. Ten Cases of Spontaneous Human Combustion Survival Number 10. Baby Rahul. Our first case is Rahul, an Indian child who made headlines for catching fire while yet an infant. This baby human torch was barely a week old when he first ignited, and in the span of a couple months he'd managed to flame on a total of four times. His parents, Rajeshwari and Karnan, first admitted Rahul to the Kilpak Medical College and Hospital in Chennai on August 8, 2013. Some doctors initially accepted the parents' claim that the burns were caused by spontaneous human combustion. Most were skeptical. However, after tests indicated Rahul was completely normal, pretty much all attending physicians became concerned that child abuse might be an issue. The KMCH eventually filed complaints with the police and the Child Welfare Committee requesting investigations into the matter. But Rajeshwari and Karnan stuck with their story, and psychiatric counseling revealed them to be normal as well. No investigations were ever made, though many suspected the mother had a condition called factitious disorder imposed on another. In other words, Rajeshwari was setting her own son on fire, an idea she flatly denied. The story doesn't end there. Rahul had a younger brother, Sanjay, who suffered from the same mysterious condition. Born January 9, 2015, Sanjay was found with his feet on fire when barely a week old, just like Rahul. Sanjay only caught fire on one occasion, but sadly he died on the way to the hospital after suffering from a bad case of diarrhea in February 2016. Rahul, however, had a burning desire to stay alive. He survived his mysterious condition, and today he still toddles among us.
Number 9. Frank Baker. In June 1995, decorated Vietnam War veteran Frank Baker got the surprise of a lifetime, and by that we mean he burst into flames. Baker and his fishing buddy, Pete Willie, were all set for the next day's derby, and the two were passing time inside on the couch. All of a sudden, the man with two purple hearts and a gallantry medal found himself under a different kind of fire. Fortunately, the men were able to extinguish the fire licking Baker's forearm and torso and get to the hospital. There, the doctor informed Baker that his injuries were like nothing he'd ever seen before. The fire seemed to have burned from the inside out, which, incidentally, is a common observation in cases of spontaneous human combustion. Baker's story was later featured in an October 2013 episode of Science's documentary TV series The Unexplained Files. There's also an interesting thread over at Science Chat Forum started by Baker, where he described the incident as the most terrifying experience of life. Larry Arnold, author of Ablaze, The Mysterious Fires of Spontaneous Human Combustion, adds to the discussion via interview by noting that Baker experienced a second similar event while fishing a Vermont lake with Willie. He also mentions that Baker felt no pain during either event, a dispensation not extended to the studious Tennessee professor farther down this list. Number 8. Susan Motshead. As related by Mystique Earth, an account in John Hamer's The Entrancing Flame describes the curious 1980 case of Susan Motshead and the flame-resistant pajamas that weren't. It was winter in Cheshire, England, and Motshead was in her kitchen, the last thing on her mind presumably the possibility of her jam jams catching fire. But that's exactly what they did, wrapping poor Motshead in a warm cloak of yellow and blue flames for no apparent reason other than to guard against the chilly weather. Her daughter Joanne was present to provide the appropriate screams. Mercifully, the fire was briefed, and Susan was not harmed. Even her hair was unscorched. When the fire brigade arrived, they tried to light the pajamas by traditional means, ostensibly to disprove an insane woman's tale of spontaneous combustion but failed. Perhaps a career spent fighting fires in homes deprives you of the ability to start fires in homes? Number 7. Joanna Winchester. What began as a pleasant cruise with a friend ended unexpectedly for a naval airwoman named Joanna Winchester. On October 9th of the same year as Susan Motshead's unplanned pajamas test, Winchester was riding in a car with her friend Leslie Scott. As they drove along Seaboard Avenue in Jacksonville, celebrating Florida's enjoyably warm October weather, we imagine, Winchester's body decided to turn the heat way up. Yellow flames engulfed Winchester. Scott started beating them out with her hands, saving her passenger, but leaving the car to drive itself into a telephone pole. Though 20% of her body was burned, Winchester lived to tell the tale. Well, sort of. She later stated that she had no recollection of the actual incident, only riding in the car before and waking up in the hospital after. Which, if we're being honest, doesn't really sound all that crazy for a woman we want to assume spent a lot of time jumping out of planes with flippers on her feet. A policeman named T.G. Hendricks investigated the accident, reporting no sign of accelerant in the car and minimal fire damage to the interior. The white leather she was sitting on was a little brown, he said, and the door panel had a little black on it. If we were a fire, we'd be pissed if all we got was 20% of a human and barely enough car to even mention. Back to the drawing board, fire. Number 6. Mr. H, Professor of Mathematics. An 1836 edition of the Boston Medical and Surgical Journal contains a detailed report on the fiery experience of a 30-something University of Nashville mathematics professor called simply Mr. H. The report, authored in the previous year by Dr. James Overton, describes in very precise terms how the professor's left leg caught fire on January 5, 1835. Here's the basic story, in the middle of what was an otherwise normal day of classes and meteorological observations, Mr. H was suddenly subjected to a sharp pain in his upper left leg. It began as a strong sensation, as if produced by the pulling of a hair, and grew more and more severe until a small flame finally hatched. Though in great pain and certainly flabbergasted by this turn of events, the professor retained his presence of mind, and was able to extinguish the flame by using his own hands to starve it of oxygen. It's true, people were way tougher back in the day. Mr. H survived the odd combustion and recovered, much to the dismay of man-eating fires all across Tennessee. Later, in retelling his story to Dr. Overton, 
He described the flame as having a small base the size of a 10 cent coin and an appearance like that of Mercury. The extent of the damage to Mr. H was a 33x 3/43 burn wound inflicted on his leg. His trousers suffered no damage at all, but his drawers sported a brand new hole in the exact size and shape of the wound described. Small price to pay for a lifetime of introducing yourself to students with hello, I'm Professor H. I once caught on fire for no reason. So I put it out. With my bare hands. I am become fire, destroyer of homework. Now please turn with me to chapter 1. Number 5. Mrs. Charles Williamson. January, 1932. A cold winter day in Bladenboro, North Carolina. Charles Williamson was downstairs listening to the radio when his wife's cotton dress went up in flames. Her screams of terror brought Charles and their daughter to the rescue, and together they were able to tear off her dress before it was too late. Though Mrs. Williamson wasn't hurt, the dress was reduced to not being a dress anymore. This was just the beginning of four days of bizarre combustions. First the bed took fire. Then some curtains, and then a pair of Charles's pants. All these items and more were consumed by what witnesses described as blue jet-like flames that left neither smell nor smoke. The Williamsons evacuated on the fourth day, clearing the house for various experts and authorities to investigate. But nothing abnormal could be found. On the fifth day, the random fires ceased, and the Williamsons moved back into their home. No further troubles were reported, though the events undoubtedly left behind a lingering scent of foreboding doom to keep the family company for the next few months. Number 4. Debbie Clark. So far, most of our cases have involved people who were legitimately terrified to be attacked by a mysterious kind of fire that usually leaves its victims in a pile of ashes. But Debbie Clark is different because while her family was busy freaking out about the giant flashes of blue light sparking out of her, Debbie Clark was laughing. Miss Earth again cites the entrancing flame in its account of Clark. As the story goes, the girl was on her way home when she started seeing what were likely static flashes, a possible cause of spontaneous human combustion according to one theory. Of course, the sight of strange blue light leaping from Clark's body was not well received by her mother Diane who immediately took to screaming, or by her brother, who started yelling about spontaneous human combustion. Clark ended up being fine, as the static flashes never ignited the killer fire they portended. Her sense of humor was apparently dark enough to change Death's mind on the spot. So, the next time you think your body might be preparing to cremate itself, just remember that laughter is quite literally the best medicine. And if laughing doesn't work for you, well, you'll still be able to say you went out laughing. Either way, you win. Number 3. The Wife of Dr. Freilis. The last three survival cases on our list all come from Jan Bondison's A Cabinet of Medical Curiosities. They're brief and obscure, but they're also some of the most peculiar accounts we came across while researching this article. For example, this 18th century tale of an unfortunate woman with a bad case of flammable panties. According to the clergyman Giuseppe Bianchini, there once was a certain physician by the name of Freilas who was employed by the Archbishop of Toledo, Spain. As Bianchini testified, the doctor's wife suffered from an odd kind of chronic perspiration, the kind of sweat that burns. It got to the point that her undergarments would catch on fire whenever they were exposed to the air, and flames would shoot out like grains of gunpowder. No word on whether this was a boon or bad fortune for the couple's sex life. Number 2. Zachris of Hester. If the previous account was amusing, well, we're blazing straight into crazy territory now. Apparently, 19th century Scandinavian folk medicine had a fairly disgusting prescription for spontaneous combustion, human urine, preferably that of a woman. Makes sense, right? Anyway, a tale from Vastergötland, Sweden, introduces us to a drunkard named Zachris who burst into blue flame while lying in bed. This Zacharis must have still been lovable despite his boozing ways, for his wife promptly uh, relieved herself and her husband of the situation. After this, the story concludes, he did not drink Aquavit anymore. Good call. Number 1. The Man Gamp Severay Saved. Our final entry dates back to the early 16th century and is possibly the first recorded case of spontaneous human combustion. One fine Sunday in Rowland, Norway, a parson by the name of Gamp Severay was just leaving church when he came across a drunk blacked out on the ground with blue flames shooting from his mouth. 
So, he did the only proper thing an honest parson in his situation could do, he pissed on the guy. However, the drunkard, not being privy to this generally accepted treatment for spun calm, took offense to the action. And, unfortunately for the well-intentioned priest, so did the rest of the congregation who witnessed it. Thus did Gamp Sevray's life come to an end as a violent mob of churchgoers chased him down and beat him senseless with a candlestick taken from his own altar. The drunk man survived. Keith Burnside is a senior copywriter and task juggler at Slapsad, America's first and finest postcard company. In his spare time, he enjoys writing to take his mind off work. Keith also publishes under the pseudonym Brant Ketterer. And that comes from uh, List OMG. Ten, ten uh, cases of hu spontaneous human combustion. And just, you know, kind of a little humorous thing about that. If there hadn't been a robotic voice, that may have actually been a little funny. So, yeah, especially the part of the uh, couple parts in there, the uh, flaming uh, underwear. That's, you know. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I mean, if you hear heard us laughing during the during that, it's because we were laughing at just some of that. Because priest peeing on a drunk man. Right, the, and also a priest peeing on a drunk man. You know, you don't you don't see that every day. That is something. You know, and then he yeah, and then he got beat up because he was you know because he put out a fire. I mean, you know, so so yeah, so. Anyway, uh, on that note, we'll take a little break and we'll come back. I'll play some music for you and we'll, uh, I've got a couple of more websites I'm going to read from. So I hope you're enjoying the program as well as uh, we are tonight. So this is Stories of the Dark. I am your host, Glenn Clark, and we'll be right back after this.
to Stories of the Dark. I am your host, Glenn Clark, and we are talking about spontaneous human combustion. And just uh, at the beginning, uh, when I lost uh, lost my signal with uh, the live stream for YouTube, uh, I was uh, beginning to talk about our last program that I did uh, we, when we went out to Calico Ghost Town. Uh, we had a lot of fun out there. We, uh, of course, we went on the ghost hunt tours and visited the cemetery. And I hope you all enjoyed that program and learned a lot. Uh, the uh, tour guide, uh, Steve, I believe his name was, uh, he was actually very knowledgeable on different things. And he showed a couple of pictures uh, to us. Um, uh, one I didn't really think was... Uh, very credible, but uh, at any rate, I mean, it, it looked good, but I don't know. I just, uh, I guess I, I'm one of those I with ghost uh, sightings of ghosts and orbs and what have you. I always take a more of a skeptical approach. Uh, that's what any really any paranormal investigator should do. Uh, you know, start with the obvious and then work backwards. Uh, especially one when we were in the in the mines, uh, there was a lot of dust in the air, so th that can give like a false uh, thing for orbs. So, but at any rate, we had a lot of fun out there, and we uh, will uh, at some point we will go back and uh, uh, do another show from there. Uh, they I know they have uh, another they have paranormal tours every weekend every uh friday and saturday and we uh we actually we did the mine tour and the main street tour uh they have another one where they go into the old schoolhouse and uh, uh that's probably the one we'll do next so but but as i said uh, earlier our next uh adventure we're going to be going out to uh, uh salton sea and the old lake dolores water park outside of barstow so anyway, continuing on with our topic on spontaneous human combustion or just self-cremation, as, as I said in the last video. So this, uh, next, uh, this next one comes from gizmodo.com. It's uh, 10 Cases of Spontaneous Human Combustion. Some people say that spontaneous human combustion is just a regular fire that can't be bothered to find the cause for that could have been avoided through basic fire safety others say it's just a peculiar shift in our internal chemistry that can happen to anyone at any time take a look at 10 actual cases of spontaneous human combustion and decide for yourself number 10 the latest case. The latest case made headlines in September of this year as the first Irish, Irish case of spontaneous human combustion. People found the burned body of an elderly man lying in his be, uh, bed near, or lying with his head near the furnace, furnace of his apartment. Coroners determined, though, that the furnace was not the source of the con flagration, nor was there any accelerant on the body, nor was there any evidence of foul play. This case was typical of spontaneous human combustion and that there were burn marks on the floor and ceiling directly below and above the body, but no other burn marks anywhere in the room. Apologize for that. I forgot to turn the sound down on the on the live stream, but that's okay. No, no problem there. So, see, uh, continuing on, number nine, the first case. The first mention of spontaneous human combustion in the history books is Polonus Vorsidius. Polonus was just a regular Italian knight in the late 1400s who liked wine, women, and song. He consumed two ladies of very strong wine one night, and it disagreed with him. 
People say that he immediately vomited flame and then burst into flames entirely. No one else seemed to have any problem with the wine, and people were baffled as to how this happened. They're still baffled now. I'm kind of glad that I don't drink anymore because I would not want to light myself on fire like that. Number 8. The gruesome, gruesome Details Spontaneous human combustion has claimed the life of, of at least one member of, of the nobility. Countess Cornelia de Bandy, the countess who lived in the 1700s, was found halfway between her bed and her window one morning with everything except her lower legs and three fingers burned. She had apparently calmly risen from her bed to open the window in the middle of the night, but combusted before she could reach the window. In the room, two candles had been burned, or at least the tallow had been burned. The wicks were left completely unburned. Soot covered the room, including some bread on a plate that she had left on a table. Just as an indication of how strange the 1700s were, the bread was taken from the plate and offered to a dog. <laughs> wow. The dog refused to eat it, <laughs> making it the most sensible player in that incident. Now, I don't have dogs, but I did, you know, and I would not give them bread that was soaked in ashes. That's just, <laughs> that's just, that's just wrong right there. I'm sorry. Two disappearances. Jeanette Kamirzak lived with her husband and son in France in the 1970s when her husband disappeared mysteriously. Jeanette contacted the authorities to try to find them, but couldn't find anything. A few days later, while her son was out with some friends, a neighbor found Jeanette's body, except for her legs, reduced to an ash in an otherwise undisturbed apartment. Number 6. The Fire Inside In 1967, a passenger on a bus in England noticed blue flames in the window of an apartment building hallway. She thought it was a gas jet and called the fire brigade. When they got to the place, they supposedly found the body of Robert Francis Bailey, a homeless man, a fireman reporting seeing a slit in the man's abdomen from which blue flames were issuing. And uh, number five, when spontaneous combustion won a court case, Nicole Millett, the wife of a uh, Parisian innkeeper of a per Parisian innkeeper in 1725, was found after her husband roused and that roused the entire inn when he smelled smoke. What was left of her was in the kitchen, almost completely reduced to ash with the wooden utensils around her unburned. Other accounts have her burned on a, uh, having her burned on her straw pallet, which the, which straw only, straw only a little damaged. That looked suspicious, so her husband was tried and found guilty of murder. On appeal, though, he used a spontaneous human combustion defense and was exonerated. Nicole's death was found found to be, be due to a visitation of God. Number four, a flaming, shrinking skull takes America by storm. In St. Petersburg, Florida, a landlady was making the rounds in her apartment building when she noticed one doorknob was incredibly hot. The tenant, Mary Reeser, did not respond to her calls so she called for people to open the door. Inside, she found Reeser's remains in the middle of a six-foot scorched area of carpet. A chair and an end table in the middle of the scorch mark were upright, indicating that there was no activity. Nearby on the floor, a pile of newspapers were untouched by the flames. The body, on the other hand, was reduced to ash except for a skull and completely un and a completely undamaged foot. Some reports which 
just may be exaggerated, say that the skull was shrunk down to the size of a teacup. When spontaneous combustion lost a court case, Jack Angel, who had been hospitalized with severe burns, brought a court case against the manufacturer of his hot water heater for $3 million. He said that he went to check the malfunctioning heater and it blew and scalded him. However, a doctor noted that his body had been burned from the inside out, not the outside in. Shortly afterward, he changed his story and he fell asleep only to wake up with terrible burns all over his body and sold his story as a survivor of spontaneous human combustion. Was he one of the, of the only people to survive spontaneously combusting? Number two, The Twilight Zone could be in an episode, the episode of The Twilight Zone. A gentleman in Crown Point, New York, actually seemed to spontaneously combust when he was watching an episode of the Twilight Zone television show. There is no report on which episode of the Twilight Zone it was. Number one, the witnessed case. There is only one case of human combustion for which there is a witness. A mentally disabled woman lived with her father who cared for her. One day he saw a flash out of the corner of his eye and turned to find her on fire. Despite the flames, she continued to quietly sit in a chair, not reacting and not giving any, any indication she was in pain. The man's attempts to put out the fire left him with burned hands. The woman lived through the combustion but slipped into a coma and died shortly afterwards. This indicates one of the strangest parts of, of human combustion. It takes a very hot flame to reduce the, a human body to ash. Crematoriums have special chambers designed for it. However, in almost all combustions, there's no burns in the room around the body, indicating that the person simply stayed in one place. Whatever the cause of this combustion, it seems to knock people out first. I know if I was going to light on fire just spontaneously, I'd want to be knocked out too, that way I didn't feel it. So anyway, we're going to, uh, I'm going to play another uh, YouTube video for you. It's called uh, Spontaneous Human Combustion. Could you burst into flames? Comes from, uh, from a uh, user, Joe Scott. So go and have a look at some of his stuff. I'll play this and uh, we'll come back. I'm Glenn Clark and this is Stories of the Dark. When I was a kid, I had some pretty irrational fears. I was afraid of ghosts and convinced that my house was haunted. I was afraid of demons and goblins, like you do. I was afraid of satanic cults, which were apparently all the rage in the 80s. I just knew I was going to get whatever those kids had on the Jerry Lewis telethon. I thought I was a werewolf for a brief period of time. Kinda came true. And I was terrified beyond words a spontaneous human combustion. Who would have known, mom and dad, that giving your impressionable young child all the time-life mysteries of the unknown books would lead him to someday worry that he was gonna burst into flames? Who would have known? Spontaneous human combustion is the phenomena of a human body catching fire for no given reason and with no ignition source. It's thought that spontaneous human combustion actually begins from the inside out. There's something inside of you that burns throughout your body, which is a horrifying thought that there's some, you know, force inside of you that's just, you know, trying to get out that will take over your every being, kind of like a werewolf. If you Google images for spontaneous human combustion, you get things like this, very grisly images of bodies that have been completely turned to ash. But some of the interesting things about spontaneous human combustion, or the cases that have been considered that, is that the fire is localized. It doesn't, it doesn't spread throughout the whole house. It doesn't burn the house down in these particular cases anyway. And there doesn't seem to be any source of ignition. Also, it's not uncommon to see feet and legs 
that are still uh, around and have not been affected by the rest of the fire. It's almost like the torso itself is what burns. This phenomenon has been described for hundreds of years now. One of the first recorded instances of it was in 1468. It was a, a knight in Poland named Polonus Borsius, and the story was that he was at a, a party or a gathering, a dinner or whatever, and he drank two ladies, they called it two ladies of wine, and then vomited fire. Yo, that wine was fire. In 1731, a member of Italy's royal family, Cornelia de Bandi, actually was found in her room as a smoldering pile of ash right next to her bed. Uh, the bed was untouched, the sheets were unsinged, the rest of the room was okay, but there was this oily residue covering all of the, the surfaces and the window and everything, which is something that you're going to hear more about. Many believe that maybe she was struck by lightning that came in through the window. In the Victorian days, spontaneous human combustion was associated with alcoholism, although it's thought that that association may have come from people in the temperance movement to try to discourage people from drinking. In fact, Charles Dickens in his book Bleak House killed off a character this way. When you get into the 20th century, you find some of the most famous cases of human combustion. Uh, Mary Reeser is one of the most famous. She was a 67-year-old lady who was found, again, her legs were kept uh, untouched, but the rest of her was just this smoldering pile of ashes. George Mott was a 58-year-old retired firefighter who, ironically, was completely consumed by flames in his bed. He had recently had surgery, and there was an oxygen tank right next to his bed. Uh, he was a former smoker, but they think that he may have been smoking that night when this happened. Helen Conway was an elderly and infirm woman who was babysitting her granddaughter, and she was apparently so immobile that she had to use a bell to get her daughter, her granddaughter, to go upstairs to, to do things for her. Probably not the best person to be babysitting, but apparently a neighbor saw a fire in the upstairs and ran in, and um, the, the granddaughter had no idea this was going on, but they went up there and they found that this, uh, this woman was completely burned alive in her chair. Now, most of these things are reported. They were people that were found after the fact, so it's just kind of a pile of ashes and people are trying to figure out what happened to them. But there are cases where there were witnesses, where people actually saw this happen. And in fact, one of the most recent ones, the most recent reported uh, spontaneous human combustion case was in London. A 70-year-old man named John Noland, who was from Ireland, uh, was in London. He was just walking down the street. Witnesses reported him just suddenly bursting into flames. And uh, he survived long enough to get to the hospital, but he did die at the hospital. Another fairly famous case was a woman named Jeannie Saffin. She was 61 years old, but she was mentally challenged and had the uh, capacity of an eight-year-old, apparently. She was sitting right next to her father when she caught fire in the kitchen, and um, they were able to get her to the hospital. She slipped into a coma. She did die a couple of days later. So, are you starting to notice a pattern here? Most of these cases feature elderly people with mobility issues. Most of them are smokers. Often these people are overweight and have other health issues. And these often occur near a source of a flame like a fireplace or a candle. George Maud, for example, he hadn't smoked in years, so his family insisted that he wasn't smoking, and yet right on top of his oxygen tank was some matches. Why else would he have matches there? We still don't know. There wasn't any other reason for him to have matches in that room. In the case of Helen Conway, not only was she a smoker, but she was apparently such a careless smoker that firefighters reported seeing cigarette burns on furniture all around the house. It's almost like a person passed out or had a heart attack while they were smoking and just caught fire. Couldn't be something as mundane as that, could it? One of the mysteries that people who follow spontaneous human combustion always go back to is that the human body is notoriously hard to incinerate. Crematoriums have to put a lot of effort into cremating a body and even then there's often a lot of bone particles that are left over that they have to actually grind down so that it can be the, the size of ash. So is it possible for a cigarette or a small ember to actually turn a human body into ash when it's that hard for a crematorium to do it? Well actually yeah, it is, thanks to the wick effect. The wick effect, also known as the candle effect, basically describes the burning of a human body just like a candle. In a candle you have a wick, which is basically like the tinder for the flame, surrounded by a fuel source, which is the wax. Well, the human body would be the exact opposite of that. It's actually the fuel source, which is the, the fat in our bodies, our body fat, inside of a wick, the clothing on the outside. And as anybody who's grilled hamburger patties on a grill can tell you, when that oil, when that fat catches fire, it definitely takes off. 
This has been shown time and time again. In fact, the Mythbusters did one with a dead pig that showed that the wick effect is a real thing, and it really can just completely incinerate a body. And this explains a lot of things when you look at photos from spontaneous human combustion cases. It burns very slowly, but it burns very thoroughly. So it just sits there in that one place for a long time and just completely consumes the body. It takes a while, but it works. And the heat from the fire rises, which is why the hands and the body and the face and everything, that all gets consumed by the flame, but the legs, which are below the heat source, usually survive. This also explains why often objects in the room that are higher up will be melted while things down at the floor level, like feet and shoes, survive just fine. And it's this oil and this body fat that burns, gets put up into the air as particulate matter, and lands on the walls, which is why in many of these cases they talk about oily residue covering the room. That's pretty horrifying. But also another mystery about why the whole room doesn't catch fire, why the whole building doesn't catch fire. Well, if you're in an enclosed room, that fire is going to quickly use up all the oxygen, so the only fuel for that fire going forward past that point is the body itself. So it's only going to burn in that one little spot, and it's not going to spread everywhere. If you walked in while this was happening, chances are it would, you know, kind of have a backdraft effect and light the entire room on fire because oxygen was introduced into it. But since there's no oxygen, the only fuel source is the fat in the body. And then once the fire consumes all of that fuel source, the fat in the body, it, it goes out. And that's what you're left with. Now, of course, some people are not content with such mundane explanations, so there's all kinds of other theories out there as to what could be causing this. There's a guy named Larry Arnold who wrote a book called Ablaze, all about spontaneous human combustion, that he theorized that there's a subatomic particle called a pyrotron that could be causing this. No proof of that whatsoever. And Michael Harrison, who wrote a book on spontaneous human combustion called Fire from Heaven, believes that it's associated with poltergeists. Because, yeah. There's a great website that I've found. I'm linking to it down in the description below. It's called AnomalyInfo.com that actually lists every single case of spontaneous human combustion in chronological order, all the way down to 2017, this last one. And something that you notice pretty quickly is that there were a lot of them back in the 70s and the 80s that were reported, uh, and then not so many since then. It's gone down a lot in the last 30 years. In fact, only four have been reported since 1990, and three of those four occurred in the winter a time when people are likely to light fireplaces. You know what's also gone way down in the last 30 years? Smoking. It's amazing how people tend to burst into flames when they're around flames. Another thing to consider is the type of materials that were used in clothing and furniture in the 20th century. In the, in the 40s and 50s, polyester was really big. Polyester is hugely flammable, not just on clothes but on furniture. But also on furniture, they often used a foam that was petroleum-based which is incredibly flammable. That's why they don't use it anymore. But something that you might notice in the 70s and 80s, the type of people that would still be wearing polyester and have 30, 40 year old furniture would be elderly people. The type of people who might be smoking and fall asleep or have a heart attack. You know that fireman that visited your third grade class and told you not to like have oily rags laying around? Yeah, these old people were basically oily rags. So in most cases of spontaneous human combustion, it can be explained just that simply. It's not spontaneous at all. This makes sense, obviously, but I think there's something innate in us that we want to have some kind of otherworldly, supernatural, paranormal explanation for things. There's just something in us that needs that. But luckily, spontaneous human combustion is not one of those paranormal things that we need to worry about. But werewolves. All right, thanks you guys so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed that. Fun topic. I've got links down in the description to all kinds of more information about it if you're curious. Also, check out the Answers with Joe branded shirts. I'm really proud of these. I think they turned out really well. Answerswithjoe.com slash shirts. Go get some. Please like and share this video if you liked it. And if this is your first time here, check out some of my other stuff. You might like those too. And if you like those too, uh, subscribe. You'll be the first to see them every Monday and Tuesday. Every Monday and Thursday. I know what I do. All right, you guys go out there, have an eye-opening week. Don't smoke in a chair. And I will see you next Monday. Love you guys. Take care. And welcome back to Stories of the Dark. I am Glenn Clark, and uh, that was, uh, uh, that was, uh, see, my videos decided they wanted to. It was a Spontaneous Human Combustion from uh, Joe Scott. You can take a look at some of his uh, work there, and subscribe if you like. Also, subscribe and like my channel as well that that will help out can also follow me on uh, Facebook Instagram and Twitter um, 
thank you to all the new followers that I've received on uh, Twitter as of late. I'm up to like 247 followers now or something like that. It's very, uh, I very much appreciate it and uh, I'm glad that that my work is, uh, I'm glad you all enjoy my work. So with that, we're going to go ahead and uh, end the program for the night. Uh, so once again, I'd like to thank thank everyone, uh, all my uh, all my uh, Twitter followers, Instagram, Facebook followers. You are all what makes the program possible, and I really appreciate you listening. Uh, also, uh, like to. Uh, like to remind everybody that there is stories of the dark merchandise available for sale. Uh, we'll have the links posted on the bottom of the video. We've got uh, stories of the dark t-shirts, coffee mugs, keychains, uh, bumper stickers. I mean, you name it, we can pretty much design it. Uh, thanks to uh, Black Circle Girl, who does all all of my work, uh, my developing of. Uh, the website, the, the anything that you see that involves like artwork, she's done and she does a beautiful job of it. And uh, although she doesn't like to admit it, but she does. She's a very important part of this program, and and uh, I certainly enjoy having her being a part of it. So anyway, until our next edition, uh, be until our next edition of Stories of the Dark. Be safe out there, everyone, and uh, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in our next edition. I'm Glenn Clark. This is Stories of the Dark. Have a great night, everyone.